0: Okay, so we are, we are going to jump right then back into the sermon. Then we are continuing, we are in week two of our series on heaven. Uh, and uh, as we do this, um, today we're going to talk about some things that are hopefully not terribly confusing, uh, but that may challenge a little bit of what your thoughts are about what heaven is going to be like. And that's kind of the goal in this whole series is to teach and encourage and, and and maybe learn some new things about what heaven will be like and The thing is this. For those of us that are Christians, we are going to spend forever on the new earth in the new heavens and new earth. And and we're going to spend forever, forever. If you've ever really thought about that, like I am am 41, I am 41 years old. Okay. Some of you are thinking, Matt, you can't possibly be that old. I know, (laughs) but I am. Some of you are thinking, Matt, you can't possibly be that young. I got three kids. And so it ages me, Um, but they're lovely. Um, Anyway, here's, you can't see Aubrey, but she was giving me a look, um, but, but so I'm, I'm 41 years old, and there are moments where that seems to have been a really long 41 years, and then there are moments where it's just gone by in the blink of an eye, and so I don't know how old you are right now, and I, I don't know what your perspective is on how quickly time moves. I think for some of us, it just goes so fast, and for others, it seems to drag, and it just depends, but I want you to think about this. Um, However old you are, uh, if you're at the beginning of your life, if you're like me and, and in the middle, or some of you, you might be getting towards the end of it, um, it is a pittance. It is nothing compared to what eternity will be. Eternity goes on and on and on. Uh, the, the, the songwriter uh, that, that wrote Amazing Grace, you know, in um, that, that one verse, the third verse coins it this way. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Because 10,000 years in heaven won't diminish the time that you have left. That's the idea of eternity. When you are there 10,000 years, it's not like that's 10,000 years off of your stay. That's 10,000 years, and then you still have eternity to go after that. And it makes no rational sense to us because we're not wired to think that way. We're not wired to think that way because everything here on this earth is temporal. It's temporary. It's the way that we experience everything. We have kids, and what do we do when we have kids? We, we love the fact that we have kids, but we can't wait until they sleep through the night. We can't wait till they sleep through the night. And then there's this point where we're like, okay, well, we really want them to get to school. Because when they go to school, everything will be easier, right? And then we just, then they get to a certain age where we're like, slow down, it's going too fast. And then they leave the house and we're not sure what's going on. I mean, like everything happens. We're wired to think in the temporary. But when we get to heaven, this is an eternity. It doesn't ever end. It never diminishes. It never stops. It just goes forever and ever, and for some of you, you hate that idea. See, some of you, you're, that excites you, but for, for others, you think about heaven going on and on forever, and you're like, oh, what's that going to be like? Especially because when I ask you to think of what, what heaven's going to be like for you, you, you kind of close your eyes a little bit, and, and you think of uh, white fluffy clouds, blue skies, you got a harp in your hand. You're going to strum on the harp. It's going to be a church service that never ends. And some of you love church services, especially when they go really long. And you're like, so today we're going to practice for heaven today. <laughs> that's not true. Anyway, uh, but, but that's, how we, that's how we think of it. And so we think, oh, this is going to be the worst thing ever. But what we don't do is we don't understand that heaven is going to happen on the new earth. Okay? Heaven is not going to be necessarily what you've been led to believe that it's going to be like. Heaven is going to be something far, far greater. In fact, I put a little chart on on the back of your bulletins uh, that that will maybe talk a little bit about what the the old earth, this earth that we're in, what we think about heaven, and then what the new earth is going to look like. But here's the thing I'm going to tell you. It's going to be great. Let me read to you a little bit uh, what Randy Alcorn writes, a uh, theologian writes in his book about heaven, just this, this little snippet. It says, This world, including its natural wonders, gives us foretastes and glimpses of the next world. These people, including ourselves, give us foretastes and glimpses of the new people to come. This life, including its culture give us foretastes and glimpses of the next life. If we take literally the earthly depictions of life on the new earth, it allows us to make a direct connection with our current lives. When I'm eating with people here, enjoying food and friendships, it's a bridge to when I'll be eating there, enjoying food and friendships. See, right now I just messed with some of you because you didn't think you were allowed to eat in heaven. It's not biblical. We'll get there. The Grand Canyon, I'm sorry, every joy on earth is an inkling, a whisper of greater joy. The Grand Canyon, the Alps, the Amazon rainforests, the Serengeti Plains, these are rough sketches of the new earth. One day, one day we may very well say that the best parts of the old world were sneak previews of the new one, like a little foretaste Like licking the spoon of cake batter an hour before the cake is ready. It's a foretaste of what's to come. Something good that points to something grand. All our lives we've been dreaming of the new earth. Whenever we see beauty in water, wind, flower, deer, man, woman, or child, we catch a glimpse of heaven. Just like the Garden of Eden, the new earth will be a place of sensory delight, breathtaking beauty, satisfactory relationships, and personal joy. Listen to me. What you think of when you think of heaven is a big deal. Because it's something that we should look forward to. It's something that we should be excited about. It's something that when the prospect of death, when the prospect of death rears its head, it shouldn't scare you away. Because for us Christians, what awaits us Eternity—that is something that never ends—is so good. It's uncomparable. It's better than we've been led to believe. And the reason that we're confused about this—I'm going to remind you—we talked about this last week. And, and if you missed out, you can always tune in online and, and check it out. But the reason that this is problematic for us is because Satan uh, is the father of lies. Remember this in John 8:44. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Remember, uh, the King James Version says it this way. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, because that's what's in him. And one of the ways that he lies, okay, is he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling. His dwelling is simply heaven. Heaven is just the fancy words that is, this is where God resides, and so Satan has always been in the business of lying to you, of, of trying to steal from you. And one of the ways that he does that is he paints heaven. He's gotten us to believe that heaven is a bleak outlook, that heaven is the absence of anything terrible, but it's nothing exciting that we should desire. But I'm going to tell you, um, it is the best of everything. And that's what we're going to see as we, as we really open this up a little bit today. So let me just tell you this before we we jump further into Revelations. You've never seen it the way it was meant to be. You've never experienced it the way it was supposed to be. Like, you've never met a man or a woman or a child that was the way that God intended them to be. I think about my best relationship here. Okay, and that's, that's my marriage relationship, my best relationship, my marriage relationship, and then the things that flow from that, my, my, my children and my parenting relationships, and, and they're good. And that's the best I know. But it's not what God intended it to be. And I've, I've never seen animals the way that God intended them to be before they were marred by sin. And I've never seen nature the way that God intended it to be seen before sin entered the world and decay started breaking things down. I've not experienced that. But even in the midst of that, here, here's the thing I want you to know, is I see a lot that pleases and excites me. I see a lot of things that give me joy and pleasure and excitement and that cause me to feel love and contentment and this peace that I can't even possibly begin to imagine. I see all of that. There is so much that moves me to worship. And if there is so much that moves me to worship, there's so much that pleases and excites me, there's so much to love on the wrong side of heaven. If I can find that much to love in kind of the smoking remains of a world that is in death and decay then can you begin to imagine what it will be like when it's resurrected to what it was supposed to be? When, when all of the wrong is wiped away. And only what's left is, is the best of everything, but not the best of everything in a way we can imagine, the best of everything in the way that it was always intended to be by God. See, even now, when we talk about this, our vision is short-sighted. Because I say, well, we're going to take away everything bad and we're going to leave the best of everything that you can imagine. But the best of everything you can imagine is broken and run down. It's like going to Disney World, the happiest place on earth, and you're walking through Disney World and all the good rides are broken. You're still at Disney World. It's still not a bad day. But it's, it, it's, it's not the best. Uh, that's probably a terrible example. I've never been to Disney World. I hear it's awful. It's hot and there's lines. But no eye has seen um, or no heart has imagined the beauty that God has stored. It's not because we can't It's it's not because it's not familiar, but it's because we've just never seen it the way that it was intended to be seen. And and, and I think that if we start to understand that, it'll change the way we view eternity. It won't be something that we're ho-hum about, but frankly, it'll be something that we're excited to get to. And when we're excited to get to it, listen, I'm I'm not suggesting that anybody here get like crazy and, and start doing really dangerous, risky things just for the sake of really dangerous, risky things. But I am saying this. If I really understood what heaven was going to be like, I would never live life afraid. Because what's the worst thing that could happen? Well, Paul said the worst thing that could happen is I survive and keep on living. Because the best thing that could happen is that I am in this glorious heaven with the Lord, and it's perfect, and it's beyond imagination, and it's so good. And so if we really understood what heaven was like, we would really, I think we would stop living life afraid, and we would sell out, and we would understand, and we'd stop living for retirement, we'd stop living for when the kids are out of the house, or we'd stop wishing we could relive when the kids were in the house, and we'd stop living that way, and we would start living sold out for the gospel, because what's coming is so good, and it lasts forever, and it never ends, okay? So, all right, we're jumping in here. Let me read for you uh, Revelations. There's Bibles in the, in the chairs in front of you if, you if you want to look at one of those, but Revelation 1 through 7, and we're going to talk about this new heaven uh, and new earth. So here we go. Revelation 21, first seven verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Okay, there's a lot of emphasis there because that's a ridiculously huge deal. I'm gonna, we never get through scripture because I always feel like I have to stop and tell you something, but the fact that that we read that three times, that they're saying, look, God's home is now with his people. God will dwell with his people. God's now with his people. The reason that's so big is because God's always been separate from us. Because we're broken and sinful. You know, we laugh about it sometimes that Matt always says we're broken and messy. We are. We're broken and messy. Right? Because this we're stuck. Okay? But but by the grace of God and the cross of Christ, we are then renewed, but but God's home has never been with us. Not since the garden when he walked with Adam and Eve. God has never been with us. In fact, what we used to have to do in the Old Testament, we used to have to go to the temple. If I wanted to be where God was, if I wanted to experience God, I'd have to go to the temple. I'd have to bring a perfect spotless lamb or a sacrifice of some kind. There would have to be the slaughtering of the sacrifice so that the blood would cover my sin metaphorically and I would be able to then enter into God's presence and have this relationship with him. That's how it worked. That's why, that's why for all of the festivals, everyone had to travel to Jerusalem where the temple was. But then Christ comes and he says, no, 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 now you can enter into God's throne room anytime you want by the blood of Christ. You can now have direct access to the throne room of God. It's better. It's better. You came today, nobody had to bring a sacrifice. Nobody brought a lamb, right? Nobody's out there doing some nasty stuff, right? We just could come because we have direct access to the throne of God. But this now, this is even better because this is what we read in Revelation 21, It says, God's home is actually now with his people. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. There is something grand that happens there in that moment. Okay. And so there's a couple of questions that we have about what will this new worth be like. Okay. And, and uh, I'll remind you that if you've got questions... That we don't answer today about the new heaven and new earth, uh, what that will be like, write them down and throw them in the box out there in the lobby. Uh, if you've got questions from last week that I didn't quite answer the, the way that you wanted me to, write those down, throw them in the box. We've got a lot already. But Vince and I will be doing podcasts on Tuesday. Uh, they'll be live every uh, uploaded on Tuesday. And so you can download those, listen to those, and we'll answer some of your questions that, that we didn't get to. We've already got a few. Uh, that people have asked, clarifying some things from last week, or just asking other questions that that we didn't address, and we're going to look forward to answering those, so don't forget to write some of those down. But one of the big questions that comes up that people ask that that we want to answer, uh, because it was common, was what, with the new earth, will it be another Eden? Okay? Will it be like we've gone back to the garden? And a lot of people, when we say, well, there's going to be a resurrected earth, a new earth, their first thought is, well, it'll be just like it was in the Garden of Eden, because that's what the world was like before sin entered. Then it's been broken since then, and now that sin is going to be gone for good, God says, I'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more death, none of those things. Uh, I will be with you, you will be with me, I will be your God, you'll be my children. Everything's going to be right. So we assume that what's going to happen is we're going to go back to this Edenic state this state like it was in eden and there's some scriptural basis for that so let's look isaiah 51 3 says this the lord will comfort israel again having pity on her ruins her desert will blossom like eden her barren wilderness will be the garden of the lord joy and gladness will be found there songs of thanksgiving will fill the air This is the text very clearly talking about the new heavens and the new earth, and we we read the word Eden. Her desert will blossom like Eden, and so it's fair to say that that there's at least some inkling in some way the new earth will be like Eden. We keep going. Isaiah 35.1, even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. I don't know what a spring crocus is, but I'm imagining it doesn't easily blossom in the desert. Is that a true statement for those of you that know? You don't know either because nobody's... Then yes, that's a true statement. You don't know, so you can't tell me I'm wrong. That doesn't normally happen. There. Ezekiel 36, 35. Again, clearly talking about the new heavens and the new earth. And when I bring you back, people will say this former wasteland is now like the Garden of Eden. The abandoned and ruined cities will have strong walls and are filled with people. Okay? All right. So in, in, in some sense, in some very clear sense, yes. The new earth, when God says, look, I, I looked up and I saw a new heaven, and a new earth for the old heavens, and the old earth had passed away. The new earth will be very much like Eden, okay? But I, I have to be careful there. I want you to be careful because I don't want to mislead you into what that is, okay? When I say that the new earth... Will be very much like Eden. I don't mean that we're gonna reboot everything. Okay, so here's what I want you to think. I want you to think redemption, not reboot. See, a lot of us we get this idea that when we when we start over, when God comes in with the new heavens and the new earth, and, and all of the sin and pain and death and all of those things are gone forever. That will kind of like start over. And that it will be literally just like it was in Eden. Okay? But what I'm going to challenge you with is that's not necessarily biblical. You're going to find nothing in Scripture to, to, to tell you that we have a cultural reset. Okay? Uh, there's nothing in Scripture that's going to tell you that we're going to back everything up. Uh, that, that you're going to uh, lose out on art, music. Technology. Culture. See, and some of you right now are thinking, but but Matt, I've listened to music. It's not awesome. And technology is the devil's work. And that Facebook is always really bad. And what I'm gonna say is, those things aren't evil. And so what happens is it, it's not fair to think there's nothing biblical to say there's no reasonable reason to expect that that the new heaven and new earth will be this reboot of everything and that it'll be just like it was in the garden. There's no reason to assume that all of the technological advances, all of the scientific advances, all of those things that have happened are going to disappear and go away. That's not a reasonable expectation based on anything that we read in scripture. The reason we're predisposed to think that way is because what we've got is we've got this understanding, and it comes from philosophy. It's Christoplatonism. You can ask me about it later, write it a question. We'll talk about the podcast, but it's this idea that we like to to believe uh, that's been taught that material is evil. The world, the things in the world, our bodies are inherently evil, and immaterial things like heaven, like the Spirit, those are good. And so when God creates this new heaven and new earth, all of the material things that are problematic will be gone forever, and all of the immaterial things like the soul and the spirit and those things will remain forever, but that's not a biblical statement. Go back to Genesis. God creates the physical world before sin enters it. God creates the garden, a beautiful paradise. God creates it all, and he says, this is very good. God creates physically. He says, be fruitful." multiply, make more. And he says, it's very good. There's nothing inherently morally evil about physical. What's inherently evil is what we do with it. Think about it this way. Uh, a young man that's been sick since birth. And then all of a sudden, uh, as, a, as a 19, 20-year-old young man, he, he's healed. At the point of his healing, he doesn't go back to being a baby. Everything he's learned, everything he knows, everything that's happened in those 19, 20 years is still his, and now what happens is he's free to move on with the rest of his life in his new healed state, making the most of all of that. Think about it that way. There's nothing, again, there's nothing biblical, and this is where I'll challenge you. If you want to say, Matt, I, I'm not sure I believe that. Okay. I get it. But show me. Show me. Because I think as we go, you'll see some areas where we'll see, well, wait a minute. Now, now, now maybe that's God showing us a little bit that, no, this, this adventure is more than we think. Okay? And, and so, Again, we don't lose out on technology. We don't lose out on music. We don't lose out on art. We don't lose out on culture. What we do, okay, is we lose out on the things that break them. Think, think Alfred Nobel, right? Uh, you know him. Nobel Prize is named after him, but you probably know this too. He's the guy that invented dynamite. Invented dynamite because he wanted quick ways to move rock to build roads to connect people. And then somebody took that morally neutral invention of dynamite that was designed to move rock and build roads and connect people, and they used it for evil. Dynamite itself isn't evil. People that use it are. And so when we get to the new earth, all of the things now that we're like, well, these are advances. You know what? Some of you are predisposed to think they're evil, but church here, there's a lesson for us here. It's not our job to bemoan how bad things are. It's our job to redeem them. Like some of you have a really hard time with rap music. I could ask you to raise your hand. Raise your hand if you, if you have a really hard time with rap music, because we've talked about this. Um, <laughs> or, or, or you could raise your hand. I've, sure. But here's the deal. There's nothing inherently evil with rap music. In fact, there's a whole, uh, there's a whole circle of Christian worship rap music, and you're like, well, I don't, I don't see it. I don't get it. You don't have to. But what's happening is that's being redeemed in a way for the glory of God. And can I tell you this? Oh my goodness, this, you're going to hate this. I'm convinced that there will be Christian rap music in heaven. You Gaither fans? That'll be there too. It's okay. Maybe even some Striper for those of you that like the, the 80s Christian rock, you know, whatever, okay? Because, because part of what we're understanding is that it's not a reboot, okay? And so, church, while we're here, our job is not to bemoan things. Our job is to redeem them. In the name of Jesus, we redeem. Uh, that's why you've seen Christians try to get into, uh, and, and we've seen whole companies rise up that, that will Publish Christian music or Christian movies or other things, because the idea is not to bemoan the culture, it's to redeem it, okay? And we'll see that in perfection when God brings the new earth, okay? Uh, a couple other things about this. Uh, one, one question that we have a lot is, is will it be familiar? Will I know it? You know, when I'm in the new earth, will I know that it's, the, I mean, will I, will I know it, will I recognize it? Will it be something completely foreign to me or, or, or will there be something in me that, that connects with it? Will there be a Vinton, Iowa in the new earth? Not sure why not. Some of you are thinking, I would never choose to live in Vinton, Iowa if I was in heaven. Okay, I don't think anybody will force you to. Some of you are like, I never want to leave. But let let me read you. There are a lot of great theologians that exist. Um, I don't know of a theologian that has ever summed this up better than C.S. Lewis in a children's book. Uh, Of course, it was an allegory. It was was meant to be a theological um, discussion. Uh, But you know, the, the Chronicles of Narnia... Uh, the one everybody knows for sure is *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*. But there's seven books. The last book is the last battle. And here's what happens at the point where um, the new earth has come. Here's what Lucy says. "Those hills," said Lucy. Well, I guess it starts with this. Lucy is lamenting. She's excited about this afterlife, but she's lamenting the loss of Narnia, something that she loved with a great passion. And then here's here's what she says. She says, "Those hills, the nice woody ones." with the blue ones behind, aren't they very much like the southern border of Narnia? Like, cried Edmund, after a moment's silence, why they're exactly like, look, there's Mount Pyre with its forked head, and there's the pass into Arkenland, and everything, and yet they're not like, said Lucy, they're different, they have more colors, and on them they they look further away than I remember, and they're more, more, I don't know, they're just more, more like the real thing, said the Lord Diggory softly. Suddenly, Farsight the Eagle spread his wings, soared 30 or 40 feet up into the air, circled around and landed on the ground. Kings and queens, he cried, we've all been blind. We are only beginning to see where we are. From up, where I've se- from up there, I've seen it all. Edensmere, Beaver's Dam, the Great River, Care Paravel, still shining on the edge of the Eastern Sea. Narnia is not dead, this is Narnia. And we, But we saw it all destroyed. How can it be? We saw it all destroyed, said Eustace. And it's all so different, cried Lucy. But that was not the real Narnia. That had a beginning and an end. It was only a shadow or a copy of the real Narnia, which has always been here and will always be here, just as our own world, England, and all is only a shadow copy of something real in Aslan's real world. You need not mourn over Narnia, Lucy, because all of the old Narnia that mattered, all of the dear creatures, have been drawn into the real Narnia through the door. And of course, it is different. As different as a real thing is from a shadow or waking life is from a dream. The difference between the old Arnia, Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. But if you ever get there, you'll know what I mean. And it was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground, and he neighed and he cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason we loved the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little bit like this. This is the point. This is why Lewis sums it up so nicely. This is, this is what we'll see in the new heaven and the new earth. The reason that we love this earth sometimes is because it sometimes gives us a glimpse of what's to come. It's a shadow. That's what he calls it. It's the shadow land. Or, or here's what he says it's like, it's like when you wake from a dream. Except, you know how that is, right? When, when you wake from a dream and, and it's fleeting and you try to remember what was in the dream, like you try to remember, you try to write it down, you try to hold on to it, you try to kind of rationalize what was in the dream, and you try to kind of, if you're like my wife, you like to try to explain it to your husband while he's still sleeping a little bit. And you're like, here's what I need you to know about the dream, and I'm like, it's a dream, it was great. Um, But it's gone like that. That's, that's part of why Carrie has to download it so fast, especially if it was a good dream. She has to download it so fast because it's fleeting and it disappears. And unless we talk about it, unless we remember it right away, we won't really grasp it in a second. It's like that, except it's different. This is the dream, okay? And it points to something. It's like a shadow of something that's going to be so good. Yes, it'll be familiar, but it'll be better, everything that your heart has ever longed for everything that has ever stirred you and some of you I mean let's be honest if you're like me you're boring I mean I am boring I don't hunt I don't fish I don't hike I've never been skiing you're like hey Matt you want to go sledding and I'm like why are you mad at me (laughs) like I don't like that stuff But for some of you, when you do that, when you experience that, some of you, there's no better place to be than in the mountains in in Colorado. And when you're there and when you experience it, there's something in your heart that just says, yes, that this is right. And and that listen to me. That is a shadow of the goodness that's to come. Because what's going to come is so much better than even that. And for those of us that just want to sit and want to read and want to think, it's okay. Because that goodness is a shadow of what's to come. What's to come is so good. Those of you that, 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 are, that are mechanically minded, you mess with stuff, you fix stuff, you build stuff, guess what? That doesn't go away either. See, we're predisposed to think that in heaven, all of that stuff disappears. No. No. We experience everything that causes goodness in this life, except we experience it to the fullest. So here's what I would say. I would say, I think. Remember, I told you, I promise you, I tell you, if this was a map thinks instead of a Bible clearly states, this is a map thinks. I think, based on what scripture tells us of the new earth and the new Jerusalem, that the new earth, we will see the real earth, which includes all of the good things, not only of God's natural creation, but also of mankind's creative expression to God's glory. You ever, you ever those of you that, that do woodwork you ever carved something because the way that God wired you was to be able to carve things, and you made something like you you carved and you created a kitchen table, and you crafted it and you put it together and you sanded it and you loved it and your family sat around it and you prayed together and you read the Bible together and you ate meals together. You broke bread and it was just something that God put in you to create this so that you could all come together and you could glorify Him in the process. This is a Matt thinks now. This isn't a Bible says. This is a Matt thinks based on everything we know, based on everything that we read, based on some clear, I think, steps. I think you'll sit around that table. I don't think that's unheard of. God's gonna take your body. He's going to make it brand new. God's going to take the earth and he's gonna break it, make it brand new. This thing that glorified and honored God, I, I, I can't see any reason why he's not gonna make it Brand new as well. We'll keep going. So, then other questions are what is the New Jerusalem going to be like? We read that not only did we see the new heavens and the new earth, we saw the New Jerusalem coming down from God. Uh, So, He took me in spirit to a great high mountain. He is the angel that's talking to John. Uh, In his revelation, he took me in spirit to the great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. So a couple of things we want to note there. One is, this is a city that we're talking about. Okay, that's what this is. This is a city. This is the city of Jerusalem. This is the best city. This is the capital city. This is the city where God resides. Okay, it's not the only city. We can say with certainty that there will be many cities in heaven. Uh, Luke 19:17 through19. Jesus is telling a parable, and, and he talks about um, because of the way that people have managed the things that God has given them, because of the way people have, have lived. Um, in a way that that demonstrates holiness. One of the rewards, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, one of the rewards that people have in in heaven is you will manage one city, you will manage ten cities, you will manage whatever. So so at least that's something we know. There are many cities in heaven. This is one of them. This is the main one. This is the capital. So he took me in the Spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Something else there. Hey, look, there's a mountain. There's at least one. Uh, There'll be many. But here's one we read about, where they go up high on the mountain the mountains, beaches, forests, lakes, hills, trails. OK? Um, we're, we're not talking sitting on clouds playing harps. Keep going. The city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels, and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, west. Okay? Uh, the fact that there's 12 gates doesn't really matter. Um, I mean, it matters, but, but it's not really something we're going we're gonna to focus on here. But the idea of the gate is this. The gate is, is a very critical place um, in, in these cities because it's, it's one, it's where we have to defend. Remember Disneyland, the happiest place on earth? They even shut their gates at night. They shut them down every night. We're going to read here in a couple of verses that these gates, they never shut. They never close. Because there's never enemies at the gate. There's never enemies coming in. The gates are always wide open, and there's 12 of them. Easy access to this grand city. And the fact that the gates are always open, that anyone can pass through. Anybody here a Monty Python fan? I just had the image of the Black Knight none shall pass here everybody's in there is no exclusivity here in fact the open gates um, this speaks like, like everybody is welcome there's no hierarchy okay there's no class system everyone is welcome in heaven the blood of the lamb paid your entrance everybody's in everybody, there's no ticket price. You don't need a ticket. You can come in this grand city and you can explore everything there is to explore. Why? Because Jesus paid your way in. The fact that you are in the new heaven suggests that you have free access. The parks, the museums. Yeah, I think there'll be museums. The beach. Whatever there is to offer, the restaurants, the concerts, you name it. Whatever there is to offer, I think everyone will be free to enjoy it. Why? Because the gates are never shut. And we continue. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. When he measured it, he found it was a square, so it looks like a big cube. Um, Its length and width and height were 1,400 miles each way, according to the human standard. Now, here's, here's where some people say, well, you know, I mean... Is that literal? Is it figurative? Is it metaphorical? I don't know. I mean, the author goes out of his way to say, according to the human standard that the angel used. So if the author is going to go out of his way to say, this is what it was, according to the human standard that the angel was using, I'm not sure what point there would be for that for something metaphorical. 1,400 miles in length, width, height, and we're looking at this thing. You know what that equals? That equals a city, now and this is one city, the grandest city, but a city that stretches from California to the Appalachian Mountains, from Canada to Mexico. A city, okay, that would be 10 times bigger than England. That's right. 40 times bigger than London. I mean, this is a grand thing. Okay? And, uh, well, let's just keep going here. There's a lot to get through and not a, a ton of time. So the wall was made of jasper. Uh, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The 12 gates were made of pearls. Each gate from a single pearl and the main street was pure gold, as clear as, as glass. The capital city is bathed in opulence. This is God's city. And and why is it bathed in opulence? Why? Well, look at this next thing. Because I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and his Lamb are its temple. Because this is the capital city. This is where God Almighty resides. In this grand city, God is here. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nation's Get that word, nations? You hear nations three times in this text. Some of you are thinking nations are a bad thing. It's one of the problems in the world today is we have so many nations. We're not just one giant, you know, united people. But I read very clearly here, there will continue to be nations. Nations aren't the problem. But as a redeemed people, that will still have differences, but it'll all be good, and it'll all point to the beauty and majesty and wonder of Jesus Christ. So the nations will walk in its light. Its gate will never be closed at the end of the day because there's no night there. So here's the deal, right? In the capital city, the sun doesn't go down because the sun isn't necessary. Why? Because the Lord of light is physically present. Now, ask me what that means. I don't know. I don't know what that means. This is one where I have to punt. I can't tell you what that means, But it's what we read, and we have to take it seriously. Okay, last couple things here. This last text here. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. And so we read this, and we're reading something here, that coming directly in the capital city, coming directly from the throne of Jesus... Where the lamb is, where Jesus is, this river of life flows. And this is the river now that God has offered. He offers. When you overcome, you can drink freely from the river of life. And next to it is this tree of life. By the way, that's the same tree. Something you have to understand theologically, this is the same tree that we read about four times in Genesis 2. Tree of life the same tree. We read about it again in Revelation 2. uh, And and we know that right now that 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 tree is waiting for this moment. And, and, And in Genesis 2, what happened is God planted the tree of life in the garden and Adam and Eve were to eat freely from the tree of life. We know Adam and Eve were not designed to die. They weren't designed to die. They were designed to live. And they could eat freely from the tree to sustain themselves. That, that, that was the thing. And then all of a sudden, sin enters the world. They sin, and they're cast from the garden. God puts an angel in front of the entrance to the garden, and no longer do they have access to the tree for sustenance. But we read in Revelation 2 that that tree is now in the present heaven. It's with God himself, and he's waiting to allow those that overcome. It's what we read in Revelation 2.7. If you overcome, he'll let you eat from the tree of life. And now we read that in the new Jerusalem, in the new earth, the tree actually grows freely down Main Street of the capital city, where the river of life comes, and the tree is on both sides of the river, and people come and they eat freely from the tree because this goes forever. And some of you are like, wait a minute, time out. It's heaven. Why do I need to eat? Why do I have to drink water? I don't need to eat and drink water. I don't need to do that stuff in heaven for sustenance." I'm not sure why you wouldn't. Adam and Eve were made in perfection before sin came to corrupt, and they were told to eat and drink. Okay, and so Uh, It appears that we'll do the same. The problem is, or the thing is, the, the reason it's hard for us to grasp is we'll never go without. See, the reason we think, well, we won't have to eat or we won't have to drink, we think that's true because we've been hungry and we've been thirsty. And we've gotten food poisoning. And we know that there's drought and we know that people starve and we know that people die of thirst. And so we think, well, those things must be gone when we get to the new heaven. No but we'll have them in abundance. They'll never be without. Why? Because it flows directly from God. The river of life flows directly from God. I don't think it's absurd to picture people lounging, sitting, talking, laughing, walking along the river of life, taking a drink, grabbing a piece of fruit that's always flowering, 12 months out of the year? All right. A couple other things I want to do real quick as, as we uh, prepare to close. Um, there, there have been some questions that, that I'm going to touch on just briefly, and then I'll invite you to listen to the podcast if you, if you want some more. Uh, one is a, a question people keep wanting to ask. It's, it's, we've had it a couple times. Is will there be weather? Will there be weather in heaven? um as long as the earth remains this is genesis eight twenty two. as long as the earth remains there will be planting and harvest cold and heat summer and winter day and night okay um so you ask me matt do you think there will be weather in heaven and i will say whoever you are that's asking i think okay this isn't all oh, theological fact but i think yes I think there will be seasons. I think there will be weather. Do I think they'll be extreme and harsh? Absolutely not. Do I think they'll exist? Sure. I look at Ezekiel thirty-four, twenty-six, and 27. It says, I will bless my people and their homes around my holy hill. And in the proper season, I will send the showers they need. There will be showers of blessing. Again, uh, apparently uh, talking about the new earth there will be showers of blessing. Is rain bad? No. Rain isn't bad. Rain's a blessing. So will it rain in heaven on the new earth? I think so. Presumably. Presumably. And, and if it rains in the new earth at higher altitudes, will, will the rain turn to snow? Presumably. Presumably. And if the rain turns to snow, will we ski? Will we have snowball fights? Will we go sledding? Will we play in it? Uh, presumably. It's going to be better than we imagine. Okay, uh, will there be space? Oh, man, I don't know. Uh, yeah, right? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We think heaven there means the place that God lives. That's not what that word means. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, Remember, God's already living. God is already existent. But when God creates the heavens and the earth, that word for for heavens is the uh, word that means cosmos. It's the word that means everything above the atmosphere. Black holes, galaxies, stars, planets, other things I don't know what they are. God creates those. And then we read in Isaiah sixty five seventeen. we read it in 2 Peter 2, look, I'm creating new heavens and a new earth. The new heavens aren't left out of this creation. So we're creating this brand new thing. And so uh, Psalm 148 tells us that, that the stars uh, and the planets and the galaxies paint a picture of God's glory, and, and I'm convinced that will continue. Now ask me this, do I think we'll explore them in the new earth? I can't imagine why we wouldn't. Think about this. In a broken world where nothing works right, and um, we're in conflict all the time with one another, and we're worried about our own accomplishments and pride in these things, we've been able to um, go to the moon. We've been able to land things on Mars. What do you think we'll be able to do with all eternity? Complete cooperation, no pride or sin, no financial restrictions, I think there's no reason to assume that we wouldn't explore and that we wouldn't have adventures. Here's the thing. Everything changes when we grasp that all that we love about the old earth will be ours in the new earth. When we really understand that, either in the same form that we're used to or in a new, better form somehow, but when we really grasp that everything that we love about this world will be ours in the next, unfiltered with sin, with God, with us, changes everything. So my call to you is to stop, and we talked about this yesterday, I asked the praise team to come up, my call to you is simply this, stop working from a misdiagnosis of homesickness every single one of us, whether we know it or not, is homesick. We just are. We're homesick because what our heart naturally desires is heaven. The person our heart desires is Jesus, and the place we desire is heaven. And everything that feels wrong about this place is a reminder that we're not there. Your broken relationships, kids being crappy to you at school, Family drama, neighbor conflict, broken marriages, work issues, finances, health problems, everything that's wrong here is is something that's just a reminder to you that you were built for something else, that you were created for the person of Jesus Christ and you were created for this new heaven, and new earth that you'll live in for all eternity. Don't let that go misdiagnosed in your heart. Because the excitement of an affair will not satisfy. The glimpse of passion on the computer screen isn't what your heart is longing for. That stuff that you might buy that will push you deeper into debt That's not going to make your heart happy. None of that stuff satisfies. That's all a misdiagnosis of what your heart longs for. And if you really understood that, then I think we would tackle this life differently and we would be so excited about what's to come. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to ask the ushers to come forward and collect our offering. Uh, As they do that, praise team's going to sing for us a song that tells us about this is my desire And as we sing this, or as we listen to them sing this, I want you to meditate. I want you to think about what is it that your heart really desires, because you were made for heaven, okay? If you're visiting with us today, remember you are under no obligation to participate in the offering. This would be a great time to drop that uh, welcome sheet off in there, Um, but why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for the good and gracious God that you are. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for caring for us. We thank you for Creating us passionately and purposefully for a life in eternity with you, and God, while we while we enjoy the beauties of this life, God, we know that there'll be a point in time where we will be able to look around and say that, creatively speaking, you were just getting warmed up. And God, that that should drive us with passion uh, to be able to spend an eternity with you in a place that you've created for us. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Amen.